Welcome back to Pixels and Pints Uplate. It's our second short one-shot episode with uh, myself. I am Dan. In in honor of Tom not being here, I'm wearing my my flannel jumper. His is big red, <laughs> uh, so I've decided to coin mine big blue. Uh, I would have called and- it deep blue, but all right. Deep blue. <laughs> Deep well, blue. and that other voice you hear and those viewing as well is Pete. Howdy. And I'm really excited about this app. Yeah. Uh, so what we're going to do tonight, uh, so these these uplates are our shorter, more focused uh, episodes. And tonight we've decided to, in honor honor of, we're going to do lots of things in honor of because I've got honorary mentions in here as well in this list. <laughs> It's on the so brain. Pete wanted to talk foundation uh, because Tom's not with us uh, and he didn't want to put up with Tom's <laughs> not wanting to watch things about math and numbers. So we decided we would do a bit of a dive into sub-genres within the sci-fi collective parent, yeah. parent genre. So sub-genres in there. We've got one each. Uh, we might not get through the whole list in the hour, but... We've got one each out of space operas, space westerns, hard sci-fi, science fantasy, which you tripped me up on this one. I couldn't actually find one that I thought I would happily put under that uh, that topic, but we'll get to that later. Uh, horror sci-fi, time travel movies, monster monster sci-fi monster movies, uh, cyberpunk, and uh, sci-fi comedy movies, which I thought was a, a fun one to throw in at the end there. So hopefully yeah. we get that far down. Um, and we'll introduce the... Like I, I think we'll we'll talk very briefly about our definition mm. for the subgenre as we go through each one, um, and, and, and we sorry, didn't pull from popular ones. So when we get to space operas, yes, Star Wars is the big one. Flash Gordon, those sort mm. of things. We're not going to talk those those ones. We we tried to pick more. We walked the line though, right? Because yeah, yeah. I I I stayed away from things like BSG. I stayed away from things like. Uh, but then I put the expanse in, which is very much fucking mainstream, as is some of the other ones in there. Um, I would also have argued that Star Wars is a good example of of science fantasy as much as anything else, because it's got magic in it, space wizards. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean, look, most of these don't fit neatly into a subgenre. This is where you get to splitting hairs and a bunch of really smelly guys sitting around a table arguing about it. Yeah, we're not going to do that. <laughs> I don't agree with your uh, your horror one. So yeah, we'll okay. talk about we'll talk about that when we get to horror. Yeah, cool, cool. Okay, um, well, we'll, and we're gonna have we're gonna have one. We're having a warm up beer at the moment. We are gonna have one uh, big high ABV. I've got a barrel aged whiskey barrel aged stout, which now that I look at it, I'm not sure if I've had it or somebody else had it on there. But this is my one tonight, and I'll be repeating myself if it was me that had it. And I've got a big big imperial stout too. So. Cool. Um, should we sit on those for just a second yeah. and yeah. roll into maybe the first two, and then? Yep, sounds good. So we're gonna we, we're gonna talk about our favorite movies in each subgenre. I think that we skip that bit as to what we're talking about. It's our favorites in that kind of those categories. So the the first category off the ra- off off the top is space opera. So this is kind of big melodramatic. You know, there's lo- there's usually relationships and and uh, romance and these types of things. Big risk taking adventures. You know the really big settings, typically. Mm, definitely. Um, did you want to kick off with yours? 
which I deleted on mine. I'm I'm pleasantly surprised by how many we had in common, to be honest. Yeah, well, I actually thought of, sorry, I've just put my study back together and I, this is the first time I'm in my set spot in my proper desk and it's got a bit of a wobble to it and it's got metal sides on it. So I apologize if there's any like bell chimes when the, <laughs> the metal hits the frames if I lean on it the wrong way. Um, yeah, so Space Opera, I couldn't go past... Battlestar Galactica. I mean, I've spoken about it. Like, this is the the more modern Battlestar Galactica TV series. Hmm. Pete, Pete's just finished watching it. I'm playing Deadlock, the, the yeah, ta- tactical game. So it's it's right in the the front of my mind at the moment. And we we spoke about those first few episodes in season one, the the mini series, and the first proper episode of the the the, the pilot season or the season yep. one, and I mean, I think it ticks all of those space opera boxes from the very beginning, big epic space battles between big frigate cruisers with a whole bunch of little uh, individual piloted ships going around, but smaller frigates on going, getting out there and smaller corvettes and everything getting involved throughout the series as well. Mm. But it just the, the biggest... Thing I picked this one for in the space opera side of it was yes, those big epic battles, but the character development through yeah. the, the the season, the four seasons that they have. I think, and it's we almost spoke about a, this. It's almost a drama set in space. It with we definitely a bunch is. of combat and shit going on. Yes, and the a lot of the characters go through drastic changes and huge development and growth arcs. Primarily, Starbuck. Uh, because she's the the one that they focus on mostly through the the four seasons, but also the like all all of the f- the final five final five yeah yeah final five go through huge arcs. Adama goes through a huge arc. There's a lot of character development, and if you consider how much character development there was, and then fold that into three seasons, or was it four? It was four seasons. Yeah. Four seasons. It's a lot. In four seasons, yes. compared to a lot of other shows, and a lot of a lot of people to develop too. I mean, you you talk about um, well, Stargate had and- a third of the number of characters and double the amount of episodes, uh, seasons, and I reckon it's probably got about the same amount of character dev. More than double the amount of seasons. Ten seasons in SG One, yeah. yeah. and and Atlantis, uh, Richard yeah, Dean yeah, Anderson I was, was in Atlantis and that too, and. But, yeah. but, yeah, I mean, they basically went through no character development, did they, between 10, 10 seasons and these, they, <laughs> yeah. this Galactica's got such a, a massive cast and they develop all of them all the way through, all the way through the, the the oh, God, now that I'm thinking about it, there's so many characters in that that are, like, so vital Living to the story. and breathing entities in that yeah. show. Yeah. And then you take the Galactica as a as basically a living, breathing entity on top of that as well, and you've you've got the the big one there. So if anybody hasn't watched it, it was a sci-fi uh, channel show, I think. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, it was back in God two thousand and fourteen. No, earlier than that, no, late two thousand. Yeah, I don't remember. Um, it's definitely sci-fi channel though. Yeah, and they they started it uh, the. Probably should have put some more better notes on this, but no, why start being more thorough now? We got like ten minutes per per ten minutes to yeah. talk about each genre. I don't think we got time to get into the nitty gritty. Two thousand four to two thousand nine. Yeah, so amazing special effects and brilliant writing for that era. It's just it, it was a real 
uh, trailblazer, I think, in mm. creating a the depth of character and everything going through there. So that was my big pick. I had the fifth element as well. I think everybody's Which seen was the perfect. fifth element. Yeah. So and and the fifth element, I so I originally put mine space opera as fifth element as well. Um, and it, you could easily slide that into space comedy or sci-fi comedy as well. So fifth element's great. And I think you need to talk about yours because I completely disagree. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, uh, but mine and I went real offbeat for these two, right? Yeah. So Jupiter ascending um, was my pick. Uh, directed and stolen by Lily and Lana Wachowski. I say they, they wrote it. I don't know if they actually wrote it, if they stole it like like they did Matrix. And s- some big fucking names in it too. So Channing Tatum, uh, Mila Kunis, Eddie Redmayne. There's a whole bunch of other supporting cast and based on a novel and based on a very well-written and well-received novel. I'm pretty sure it was part of a series of novels. And I put it here because... Whilst the story you get's quite narrow and and focused on a couple of characters, it's set in a very well kind of constructed universe with a lot of shit going on, a lot of history behind the scenes driving the storyline, and I found that interesting. And then um, my honourable mention is very very similar in Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets, and again, it's I mean it's it's pure science fiction. In the sense that there's lots of sci-fi effects, all the special effects, there's lots of aliens and, you know, creature effects. And again, Valerian is full of uh, major names. Um, Cara Delevingne, Clive Owen, Rihanna, Ethan Hawke, like Dane DeHaan. It's a huge list of stars. And both of those movies were designed to be launching platforms for a series of movies and just flopped badly. Mm. And Mm. they never made another one. Yep. But to me, they're the epitome of space opera. They're very much relationship-based. I mean, Valerian, I mean, it was a romance between the two main characters. Um, Jupiter Ascending, again, romance between the two main characters set in a sci-fi universe. So they were my yeah. picks for that one. I've, I've never made it through Jupiter Ascending. I've, oh, really? I've, I've, started, I've started it two or three times and I'm like, I can't do this. Uh, <laughs> and then I you- think I caught the end, like, 30 minutes one night when it was on TV and I'm like, oh, okay, I can just cut out all the rest of the crap I haven't seen in the middle and just watch the end and see what happens. I liked the politics. It was lightweight, deep politics in the sense that you can tell there's a lot of gravity behind the major houses in a kind of a Dune or a Foundation style, but it doesn't delve too deeply into them in Mm. that first movie. Uh, And I just love Eddie Redmayne. He's such an offbeat-looking dude who acts. His voice is kind of a bit... Weird as well, like not weird, bad, just just odd. Mm. Um, and so anything he's in, I I tend to thoroughly enjoy. I couldn't stand Channing Ta- Channing Tatum's as uh, a dog space, boy, space elf, space <laughs> yeah. elf with magic boots. He was a puppy dog, <laughs> <laughs> in a way that he, in a way that Barf wasn't in space. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> His modern <Definitely>. Barf. <laughs> yes, and in Valerian, I watched all of Valerian. Um, I didn't mind it. I thought there was some really good spots in it uh but he was just a creep yeah yeah he was he was, he was um, just you're talking creeping uh, on cara delavine the entire movie yeah Dane really off-putting character mm, yeah. yeah um and that felt like a spielberg-esque sci-fi it had that kind of clean film look about it mm. like spielberg has a very specific directorial style which we should talk about in another episode sometime um it was directed by luke besson so definitely not a spielberg film but it felt like it uh, he he also helped write it. Um, 
he's known for Fifth Element. So he wrote Fifth Element. Uh, he wrote Nikita. He wrote mm. Lucy. Like he's a well-known fucking screenplay writer and, and director. So, and I would imagine the visual effects people are the same as the Fifth Element because it very much feels they're like Fifth Element when you're looking visually. Yeah, I'm not sure. And we, I was been thinking because I've been watching a shit ton of Corridor Crew lately. We should start talking about some of the the special effects houses in the movies that we're talking about sometimes. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's for another episode. Mm-hmm. Should we move on to the next genre? Sure. You jump in because I did cool. have I had expanse on my hard sci-fi uh, column. It very much fits both. I'm going to leave it out and talk about the other movie I've got there because I probably shouldn't talk The Expanse because I've read the first three books and only watched half of the first season. So I don't think I'm qualified to talk about that. <laughs> Fair enough. But The Expanse is a great, like it's, it, and it's, it's won as many awards and it's as popular as it is because it, it, it spans so many parts of science fiction. So it is very much hard sci-fi in the sense that it's a, good example of you know visually representing reality when it comes to like realistic newtonian physics in mm. science fiction the ships have to flip over and accelerate away from where they're traveling towards because they have to slow down um the first season is very detective noir set in space mm. yeah it's got that's what real, i loved about mm. yeah uh and it's and it's also it it parts of it borderline like there's lots of politics so you're in space opera land with with those kinds of things and relationships and and um, diplomats and all the rest of it. Um, you had a lot of cyberpunk in some sections of that, I would say. Uh, and then in season four, mainly, like um, it's it's primarily season four. You get a lot of this. Uh, it's it's also quite space western, and that's the genre we're talking about. We should have started with that. Um, you know, they have they're on a new planet. They there's they split into factions really quickly. There's quite a lot of of sabotage and those types of things. And it, it is very spaghetti western. It's not traditional polished American western. It's quite spaghetti western. Um, and and that's why I said especially season four. It felt very western, uh, in the way that the start of Mandalorian did season one. Okay, very kind of similar. Yeah, and that's I why should I put that there. I should get through the rest of it. I, I really enjoyed what I watched and I really enjoyed the, the books that I've read too. So, And I found The Expanse interesting because it reinvented itself season on season. The first season is a very well-contained, self-contained story. Mm-hmm. You know, they are, they are looking for the girl and then the girl leads into the God Particle and the God Particle is something that is very, very much carried through the rest of the seasons, but it, it takes centre stage season two and then season three, uh, it's mar- more about Mars politics. Season four, it's about where the God Particle led them and, you know, another universe to explore. This It reinvents itself continuously, and I found that very good in terms of maintaining interest and still having this through thread of, you know, Earth politics versus Mars and and the, the Outer Rim. Yeah, it's funny you say that because from what I, I haven't read the books for many years and I've only ever read them once, the it, the, the books do seem to change as they go as well the first one like you said was very detective noir until you get to the 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 final chapters and by the way we're doing full spoilers on everything Mm. so should have said that yep we should have mentioned that up front but uh we're not holding back here we're not uh we're except for maybe my next movie in the hard sci-fi because i don't want to spoil the the twist for pete if he hasn't seen it the 
the the books very much re, redo reinvent themselves as well. You got that detective noir story with a big finish in the first book and the the reveal of the alien life, and then the second the second book is very much a war movie. It's it's a it's a, the the whole last big battle. Oh god, is it the second or the third book? I don't remember now. But it's it's more of a war movie. You've got Earth and Mars actually have soldiers boots on the ground having a, having yep. battles together. So, and I believe a- that season two or three, season two, very much boots on the ground. Well, they they spend some time in the actual war. It's quite a cold war for a lot of it as well. Yeah, and posturing, yep. but there and is posturing. actually yeah there is actually battles in it as well. Uh, and and there's six seasons, sorry. So so you know I don't have a solid recollection of each silo of chapters, other than like season four specifically around Western. That's where it really stood out for me. And I and think what was the, your pick? The the best sci space yeah. sci fi space Western of all time, and still I don't think a lot of people have seen it. Is Firefly, hands down. It's the yeah. It's the it's the, the it's the, the fucking top, bar, the top seat <laughs> for uh, for a space western. It's fantastic characters, fantastic setting. It's post big war between the factions of the 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 universe that it is. So you do you do get some of the the higher political stuff come into it every now and then, but it's very much not about that. It's about the crew of Serenity. And their heists and their jobs and just making their way through the and galaxy. Smuggling. And as Mal says, they aim to misbehave. And <laughs> that shows in every episode and it's criminal that it only got one season, but did get a sort of a big uh, space opera climax with the um, Serenity movie hmm. and, and rounded out some of the, the character stories or the, the big character story behind River and, what uh, what was happening to her and why and who who created the Reavers and why the Reavers were part of this universe, which felt quite rushed in a storyline context because they were they were only a small part they were of the the TV series, but you could tell that Joss Whedon wanted to make that a big focus of what he yeah. what his overall plan was. So he's like, right, this I'm just getting this one movie. We need to round out this story like we're not getting any more and they didn't yeah. get any more. Yeah. Even though yeah. it's an absolute cult classic Firefly. Even though there's still fucking petitions going on in 2023, like 20 years later. Yeah. To, yeah. to bring it back. Yeah. And, I mean, it never will. It got, a, got an we ongoing- We got horrendous reboots of everything else. <laughs> like yeah. we've got steaming piles of shit that they call movies and TV mm. series and yet we can't reboot this. We got Willow. Season one with a bunch of fucking teenagers spouting shite yep. in a fantasy setting using modern language, and we can't have a reboot of this. Yep. Life's not fair. No. And I think <laughs> it got a continuation in a comic book run. Um, okay. And I actually think it still does have, I think it still does have an ongoing comic book run. So, but it's just not the same. I mean, the delivery, mm. the delivery and the characters playing off each other, the comedy and the, the, the emotion that they showed working with each other. And just made that show like just the Mal can. There's so many memes out there of Mal just making faces, not being able to say anything, and that <laughs> you, you can't yeah. get that across in a comic book panel. Not the way an actor can p- portray that. And 
And they just, really nailed casting on that show too. Oh, and, yeah, and fantastic. some of those some of those act- actors and actresses were no names at the time and have since gone on to be big names. Mm. So yeah, yeah, great. If you haven't watched Firefly, you're absolutely missing out. Get on yeah, it. Totally agree. Beers or yeah, let's. Are you ready? Yeah, I could I've go either one. way. Cool. Oh, I haven't you, tasted mine. I've got the Boat Rocker Ramjet, which was aged in Starwood whiskey barrels. Uh, nice. Did someone oh, have this? Beautiful can. I don't think so. Maybe. Beautiful can, except for the several dents around the top of the rim where it's been poorly handled. <laughs> uh, let me have a quick look on Untapped to see if we've tried it. Have to get the it's a 2023 Sorry, rebrew either way, but no. It's a, no, this is, this is the 22, 22 version. Ah, okay. Uh, uh, barrel aged with, yeah, Starwood Australian whiskey barrels. Use the light again, 11.1%. It's beautiful and warm and chocolatey and rounded roast characters. Very full mouthfeel. It's got not over-the-top sweetness, but a, a really a really nice balanced sweetness there with 11.1%. And just the once again, the chocolate isn't overpowering anything else. It's all it's all working in conjunction together. It's it's layered but not segmented layers. It's all yeah. quite cohesive in in the flavor profile that it's giving. So very happy with that. Yeah, nice. Yeah, the the wood really comes across on the aroma with the sort of chocolate in the background. And I, I can feel my body warming. I've only had two <laughs> sips. And I can feel my my blood vessels uh constricting. What happens when you warm? Do they expand or constrict? They expand. They expand. Uh yeah, I could feel that. I'm getting. I'm getting. My paws warm. are opening up. Yeah, I'm getting warmth <laughs> all through my. Um, I'm gonna have to take my jacket off in a minute if this continues. Once I get halfway through that glass, <laughs> it's uh, it's coming down all through my my forehead and cheeks and going down the the back of my neck, which is uh, very pleasant because it is a hmm. chilly Sunday evening here. It is. It is got turned quite cool. It did. What do you got? Nice. Um, I've got a cracker of a beer. It punches well above its weight. Um, this is Beer Farms Talk to the Palm. Ah. I don't know if I haven't it, seen that one. Is, it, is that focusing? I can't yeah, tell. No. There you tap go. Tap the screen. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> tap the screen. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a uh, toasted coconut, cocoa, and vanilla imperial stout at 8.5%. The reason I say it punches above its weight is it, it's got a nice booziness to it like a pleasant booziness it's not overplaying its hand um but it is punching above its weight and it's shit loads of chocolate mm. it's a lot of chocolate but you can also you get just that those those acidic black malt notes in the mid palate but it finishes super sweet which is what you'd expect out of the vanilla um you said vanilla you some, and coconut yes mm. yes you do get you do get some coconut but it's 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 quite nicely because I'm not a big fan of coconut in, in stouts. Um, it, I just think it can be overpowering. In this case, it's very understated in a really good way. So I'm going to be really interested to see how this opens up because it's a fucking cracker of a beer so far. Um, I'm going to have to give that like a 4.75. Yeah, I think that's mine as well. Yeah, wow. Mm. Very nice. All right. Um, do you want to introduce the next subgenre while I get the notes sorted out so I don't forget what we drank? 
<laughs> well, the next <laughs> our next subgenre is hard sci-fi. So, if for any of those playing at home out there that don't know what hard sci-fi is, it's the science fiction that is more science fact than science fiction. So, as Pete was talking about the expanse, it very much falls in this hard sci-fi category as well. And the, the expanse is without. I don't want to talk on our ones just yet. So, hmm. just explaining the the genre, the expanse really plays into it, especially in the books. I don't know if this gets brought up verbally in the TV show, but in the books it actually talks about how the ships don't need to be streamlined of streamlined construction because there's no air resistance in space. Mm. So they literally look like skyscrapers on their sides. That's how they (laughs) describe them. Space bricks, yeah. Space bricks, yeah. So they don't have to have any aesthetics to them. They don't have to be aerodynamic. So they're 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 function over form. And yeah, I did a really poor poor. I, I did a really poor demonstration. I spoke about it really poorly talking about the ship design in Mandalorian not too long ago. That they don't need aerodynamic surfaces because they're not generating lift from their wings. They're using ion jets, and that is very hard science fiction. Yes. But Star Wars is a little bit different because, well, especially in the last few years where they've gone from Rogue Aesthetics. One onwards, we've but we've also started to see the ships in atmosphere. Yes, but I but those ships are, I would presume are using anti grav. Oh yeah, yeah, repulsor drives and yeah, as opposed to needing yeah. to generate yeah. lift by pushing air over there and under wings and creating yes. a, a pressure. Dynamic, but yeah, yeah but you don't but, get a nice shiny same, chrome N one. That's if right. You, I was gonna say. I was gonna say. <laughs> Star Wars does lean very heavily into the aesthetic, though, because they've yes. got to sell Lego toys. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> no one wants to build a a, a big cube. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a whole bunch, of, a whole bunch of the same coloured Lego brick. <laughs> <laughs> and now you have a fucking Borg cube from Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, oh God, do they make a Lego Borg cube? I'm sure they not do. not officially, but but if you go to the Lego Bricks community, they make some pretty amazingly intricate Borg cube Lego kits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some of the um, third party kits, man, are like mind blowingly good. Like better than any kit that you can officially buy. Yeah. Okay, anyway. that's that's funny. Uh, I do <laughs> I do know they have made some TV accurate expanse ship models. Yes, I've, they I've have. Seen, I've, I've looked seen into them out it. There. Looked into building a couple, but like they're the 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 worst part is when you buy Lego in individual parts, it's fucking expensive. Mm. You're actually better off trying to find kits that have a lot of the parts that you need, and you might buy two or three kits, sure. and then using that as a pool of parts, and then just buying the extra bits you need. Anyway, we don't have time to get off topic. Yeah. <laughs> so hard, hard sci-fi <laughs> is is form over fu- form over f- function over form. Uh, yeah, it's it's, it's, it's using designed correct to be in, physics. And- yeah, it's an extrapolation of reality of what we how we understand the universe <laughs> exactly. in in practice. But we kind of you extrapolate to say, well, if if we took current genetic engineering to its natural conclusion, then we end up in genomics. We end up in you know being able to blend. Uh, or, or select designer babies. Where does that take us as a technology? How does it impact on society? You take one basic change, like hey, break the speed of light in an engine. Where does that take us? But it's still extract extrapolated from reality. Yes, and it's one of my f- it, like. It's got to be one of my favorite subgenres. It's probably my favorite subgenre because when it's done right, yeah, yes, because I I love kind of the the. 
uh, imagination of what the universe might actually contain for us in the future as a, as a species, assuming we don't kill ourselves, which of course we will. Um, so I might just jump in and lead yeah, straight into mine. Yeah, yeah. Um, so and this, so this is where found, foundation fits in for me. It's 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 based on real, and this is the part that fucking Tom hates. It's based on on concepts of real mathematics and also real sociology and psychology. Um, but the basic premise that drives the start is, and and this is why I've never understood why he hates it so much. It doesn't actually talk about the math that much, other than some guy ran a math competition to locate a super smart person in the universe. Like he put out a, a theory that had never been, or a, a, a proof that had never been proved, which is a real thing. In in the, the FBI recruitment in the 60s and 70s, they would put up an, an almost impossible to solve cryptographic puzzle in newspapers and magazines and invite people to try and solve it. And if you could solve it, then you end up in the NSA or the CIA or the mm-hmm. FBI. It's very, very similar as a mechanic to finding one of the core protagonists in the foundation. He puts out this this puzzle, this mathematics puzzle that hadn't been solved in like 500 years, and this girl in the middle of bumfuck nowhere on a planet that rejects science, like flat out as a religious, as a religious planet, they reject any science teachings. You can't learn. There's no education. There's no universities. And she grabs some illegal documentation and she she's just got a brain for it. She solves this puzzle and ends up uh, meeting this guy named Harry Seldon who explains that he has invented a mathematical algorithm that allows him to predict the future in terms of, of uh, the herd of humanity. It can't tell you what an individual an sure. individual's future is, mm-hmm. but it can predict sociology and psychology in a way that like it very accurately models what humanity is likely to do. And unfortunately, his mathematics predicts the end, like the cataclysm, the end of society as or civilization, the end of mankind. Uh, and that runs very directly counter to the current empire who have a stranglehold on the universe. And when he says mankind's going to come to a cataclysm, he's basically saying empire is going to end. And, and, and that's what starts the series. But it's very much based on hard science fiction. Um, and it's... I love it because it's so grounded in predictable realities or predictable, like you can extrapolate very easily, like genetics and being able to clone self. And, you know, as we map the brain, we will be able to download our, our minds into another cloned body so that we essentially exist forever. Um, you know, there's a lot of those types of elements, but woven into interesting so- social dynamics. And that's what I find in- interesting about it. I. Uh- I think this is right up my alley and I would really like to watch this, but it's on one of those damn streaming services that we don't have. Apple TV, which you yeah. do. You've well, got one queued up, but you've got a short period of time. I think you said you had a one-month free subscription or something. Oh, no. I think I've, I think I've got like a three-month or maybe yeah. a six-month because I've got the- I, I so got it's it. about choosing the right moment, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got it when I got my, uh, my phone, but yeah. also got another one when I, was, when I got the PS5. So I don't know whether you'll have, to, you'll have to use different email addresses. Yeah, that's fine. But I think I no, no, no. I don't think the invite will expire. But I think you'll need to use a different account name when you to to continue it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And the book, by the way, the book is very different. The you know, Foundation season one explores about twenty percent of the novel. So Foundation is Arthur C. Clarke. No, Isaac Asimov. Isaac Asimov. I this knew is it was one the of those science fiction. Fuckers. Yeah, yeah. This is this is. 
this is the guy that spawned like Dune. Mm. This is the guy that spawned yeah. all sci-fi, basically, as we know it. Um, other than maybe some HG Wells. But yeah. And but the book is not a long book, but it's such a you know, huge each chapter or each grouping of chapters jumps 150 years in the future. And it tells a meta story. It doesn't tell an individual story about a bunch of people. It tells a meta story of of humanity moving through time over the, the space of a yes. thousand years. Yeah. And the series is very much the same. Season one told a meta story. Season two is taken quite a different direction. So there's a, a really nice arc through each season within a broader story. Anyway, we need to stop talking about it because it'll take up the rest of the episode. That's fine. <laughs> uh, my choice for hard sci-fi was a Sam Rockwell movie called Moon. and Which I still haven't seen. You, oh, you dude. had this on my list. I watched everything you guys told me to watch yeah. last episode. Yeah, I've I know, invested you did. hundreds of hours. <laughs> <laughs> I watched um, what was The Old Guard as well, which I had, oh, okay. I'd seen pop up and it's like it looks good, but it also looks like a pop out. It could be really shit or it could be mm. really awesome. So I watched it and it was good. It was good. Anyway. It, it was. It was just one of the it, old guard was one of those movies that I really enjoyed when we watched it. But mm, if I'm bored, I might go back and watch it again. But I probably sure. won't go out of my way and do it. But I yeah. enjoyed it. Yeah. Moon is Moon is great. Like Sam Rockwell, just put a camera or several cameras in Sam Rockwell's house and just let him do his thing because <laughs> he's he's such a. We talk about quirky actors. He is one of those. He's a quirky human, I think. He's, I think he's a quirky <laughs> human. That's why I say just put put cameras in his house and well, let's roll with it. Because basically that's what Moon is. It's Sam Rockwell being the quirky Sam Rockwell, but not over the top like it has been in some other movies. Um, it's just there's there's some points in there where I don't think I know any other actor off the top of my head that could have pulled it off quite the the quite the way he does, but not not necessarily in a comedic way there's some very high drama parts in there as well some 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 shocking parts in there that lead to or that come from the twist in the story uh, okay. so it's sam rockwell's on a on a space station on the moon he is the only one up there uh, and his time up there is coming to an end uh, he's talking to a it's so basically the movie is just him uh, it there's there's two other people in the, uh, the 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 home base that he talks to over a video call and a an AI computer that he talks to I as may, well. I may have seen it. I'm, I will have to re-watch it to see if I, I'll know within the first 10 minutes because it's okay. well, just watching still, the trailer in the background. It's I still don't want to spoil the twist because it yeah. is it is a big twist there and it's it's worth waiting for. And it's 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 based on um, well, the space station, to the best of my knowledge, is kind of like the Martian. From what I understand, a space station on the moon, moon would be and traveling out along the surface and the suits that they would wear and everything like that, uh, it, it is pretty pretty accurate to, to yep. my knowledge, which is very small. <laughs> but it's very enjoyable. It's I don't think it's an overly long movie either. I think it's under well under two hours. Um, you're obviously looking that up right now. It's it's uh, condensed. I'm not. I'm, I've got the trailer running in the background. I I, ha I think I have seen it, but I need to rewatch it. Mm. I'm definitely going to rewatch it as well. It's 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 one that just doesn't get talked about enough, and it's a mm. fantastic movie. Never pops up on any streaming services that I've seen. 
Uh, I'm sure it is probably there if you went looking for it across the board, but it's um, it's it's uh, a very very enjoyable movie, and he's just fantastic, and just holds you, holds your attention for the entire the entire an hour forty, of the movie. yeah, hour so, forty, yeah. yeah. So an evil, um, easily consumable movie. Yeah, yeah. There there is one, and we're not going to talk about the actual plot, but there is one film I wanted to mention on the banner of hard sci-fi because it is recognized by scientists as being the most accurate science fiction depiction of space there's ever that we've ever put on screen, and that's The Martian. Mm-hmm. And they spent a shitload of money. If you watch any of the behind-the-scenes documentaries on the film, they spent a shitload of money on consultants from NASA and those types of organizations to make sure that it was as, as close to real physics as they could possibly get. Um, Interstellar did some cool stuff in a similar kind of vein, but like the, you, you think about the Martian scenes where they try, where the dock, uh, where they're trying to dock with the space station towards the end, and the space station spinning so furiously, yeah. um, and then he doesn't make a perfect seal, and he essentially obliterates the space station. Um, that is very much based on real physics. Um, there's some, there's, yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff in that film that's based on real physics that was. Physical reality became one of the major characters in that show in a few places, and I thought that was really interesting. Quite well done. Um, Science fantasy. So uh, as an introduction to a genre, this is, is, to me, this is Space Wizards. This is is very much Star Wars. This is Mm -hmm. anything that combines the, the themes and tropes from both science fiction and high fantasy, like magic and aliens, those sorts of things, that's that's science fantasy. And it is its own subgenre. It's probably a genre that's talked more about in books than it is in movies and TV shows because it doesn't really you've, – you've really got to be careful to make it hit right, if mm-hmm. that makes sense, on, on screen. Um, one I've listed is, is Ready Player One. Now, Ready Player One fits into a lot of categories here. It's a dystopian future set 30 years in the future after mankind essentially annihilated itself in terms of social breakdown because of capitalism um, and everyone tries to escape into a video game and yet at the same time it's very much a nerd out film too. Mm. Um, but it also use, but it's also kind of hard sci-fi in the sense that they very much extrapolated video game technology and VR technology yeah. <laughs> as the premise of the game, <laughs> of, of the movie. Yep. Yeah. But, but to and I me, will invest in VR when we get to that level. <laughs> um, I'll probably be fucking 90 and we'll be on to the Zimmer frame on VR the- 10. <laughs> yeah. um, but, see, that's, but- that's where we need to uh, incorporate so the, the movie Surrogates into this. So <laughs> yeah. we can be decrepit and old in our, in our little chair that we're injecting Some our minds Some 18-year-old kids living inside that old body while we're playing yeah. video games with his. <laughs> yeah. That was Surrogates, wasn't it? Surrogates was Bruce Willis. No, that was Gamer. I think I'm thinking of um, Existence where you can transfer your – no, maybe it's not. There was a a movie where you could transfer your mind into someone else's body and so they had like the – the the personal trainer would transfer into your old middle-aged body in a suit to work out while you go and continue working. In oh, his God. body. Oh, no, I haven't seen whatever that is. No, surrogates is Bruce Willis and they all, everybody stays home and they have a a younger version of themselves, the surrogate, that goes right. out and does all the, the, the like all, all sports are like football's turned into, it doesn't get brought up in the movie, but apparently it's in the book that like football now is, American football now is like a deadly combat sport where they all play 
through their surrogates. Because <laughs> yeah. there's no there's no risk. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, 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 I'm sure I've seen it, but I, I'm going to watch the fuck out of that after this because that's yeah, that's uh, yeah, I got an itch for that. Um, so, so look, I. Sorry, go ahead. No, well, you, you would have to like surrogate your old decrepit body into a younger version body to then plug into your Ready Player One, so you can yep. do all the physical actions, all the in running the real around, world. And stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I put I put it under science fantasy first because it fits into so many categories, and I'd already had really good picks for those. But also because the main premise of the film is very much about the magic of video games, um, and it's. You know, it's it kind of it's it's probably a bit of a stretch on the subgenre's definition, but it kind of it, I it got close enough that I put it down. I thought we'll have to go to the video ref for this one. I think yeah. Tom weighing in, going what the fuck, Pete. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, do you want to move on to the next one? Yeah, I didn't really have one under this. Uh, it did stump me. Your I did. two are the ones that I that came immediately to mind for me. What's that? Sorry. Oh so, no 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 for the in the science fantasy so right. I I didn't I didn't have one specifically for that but yes yep. the next one is uh, sci-fi horror hmm. and I had I had a few going through my mind with these ones but it was more their endings of their movies were more in the sci-fi element but the body of the movie wasn't a sci-fi it was kind of set in modern times and the end was a bit of a twist on it in the yep. sort of the cosmic horror genre but not. Not in yep. this science for science fiction, and it's it's interesting because obviously sci-fi can cover a, a lot of a lot of different. Um, we could do, we could have a sci-fi and themes yeah, and exactly. So we could have a sci-fi movie that's set today with yes. in this modern world, but it would could still be have elements there that would be classified science science fiction. Well, but you would almost argue that a lot of Marvel is right. The Iron Man yeah. concepts are all yeah. yeah, definitely. That's a really good example, but we've. We both, when we wrote our things on this list, definitely went to the future science yeah. fiction side of things, not not that, um, not that, yeah, not I guess not that Marvel modern heli- sci-fi, yeah. yeah, modern sci-fi or current sci-fi. Um, so within the the horror side of things, I went Event Horizon and Sunshine, which are two fairly similar movies that both mm-hmm. came out roughly the same time as well, which is coincidence. Funny how. Those sort of things, kind of like the uh, the prestige and the other magic sleight of hand movie that came out at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> um, that were both set in like the twenties. Now prestige. you see me. No, 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 no. They were both set in like the nineteen twenties. The prestige has got. Oh, then you've got the one, the illusionist. The right. there, the um. Oh God, what's his damn name? I'm having a blank today. The, the American History X, Edward, Edward Norton in right. The Illusionist, and then The Prestige has Hugh Jackman and um, Christian Bale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah. they were both kind of the same time period that came out like weeks or months apart, like in the same year kind of thing. So it's yep. funny how these things kind of work. Now that I've gone on that huge rant, Event Horizon and Sunshine were probably <laughs> separated by a fucking decade. I don't know. Uh, Event Horizon was 97 and uh, Sunshine I think was 2007, 10 years. No, oh, ten years. So yeah, I'm completely talking out of my ass here. Killian so. Murphy must have been fucking young in Sunshine. He, he must have been, yeah, because he's he's been around a while now. That mm. I think that for me, that's the first time I really saw him in something and really stood out as an actor. Anyway, these are both cosmic horror movies, mm. 
ultimately in the end they're cosmic horror event horizon probably more than sunshine but sunshine still has those those kind of cosmic horror uh kind of a little bit of sort of time bending elements when it gets to the end and they get close to the sun but i don't know if that's the right definition for horror anyway i think they're both very i don't disagree with your picks but i think Horror is also, as a, as a subgenre, is defined by its tension building. You don't know what's going to happen next. You've got these ominous feelings. So you know that it's building up to something bad, but you're not sure what it is. Like, to me, that's horror. There's a lot of tension in it. But that's Alien, these, both both these movies are very much that. Yes, yeah. I'm, very I'm, much that. I'm, I'm just kind of defining the genre, or I'm, I'm just expanding the definition of the genre a little mm. bit or describing it a bit more. Yeah, so I mean, Event Horizon. There's they get a distress 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 call from the Event Horizon ship, which has a a a new gravity drive on it, which is folds space time, and they eventually find out that it's actually punched the wall into a hellish dimension. And the Event Horizon, in some way, the ship has become sentient, and it 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 really leads into those Lovecraftian ideas of really a spiral into madness for anybody that's comes in contact with it. Uh, uh, God, Sam. I want to, I'm going to say Sam Worthington, but it's not Sam Worthington. The, uh, the, the Kiwi guy. Uh, uh, Sam Neill. Sam Neill. That's him. Sam Neill is the, the, the main antagonist at the back end of the Event Horizon movie, Dr. Weir, I think his name is, because it comes up and he has a, well, I only remember that because- That would be a, real, a deep cut for me to try and remember, mate. Well, it's a real sticking point and it comes up quite often because he's a Kiwi actor, but in the movie they put an Aussie patch on his shoulder. <laughs> so Just another, fuck you. Yeah, yeah, it's well, one of those- You can have Russell Crowe back, yeah. but we're taking Sam Neill. <laughs> yeah, we're taking Sam Neill, exactly. Um <laughs> And it, it really is a, de- a, a delve into madness for these two crews that get entwined with the event horizon that's gone into this hellish dimension. It's it's sci-fi Hellraiser is kind of what it comes down to in the end because Hellraiser is kind of the same thing with the Coelobites and things like that. Yep. And Sunshine, Sunshine has a fantastic, you think it's going to be a semi-hard or it is kind of a semi-hard sci-fi because hmm. the the sun is dying and they've lost contact with Icarus One, which was the first ship with the payload of nukes to go to the sun to to try and, and reignite it. Yeah, and then the the second Icarus Two goes out and they once again get a distress call from Icarus One when they're halfway to to the sun to try and reignite it, and they decide to make a detour and they find that the the captains of both ships uh, end up delving into madness and because they've spent too long on the observation decks staring at the sun as they <laughs> get closer and it's the the one, the guy, the captain from the Icarus One actually talks about the, the sun being a god which mm. goes very much back into many uh, historical uh, civilizations because yeah. the, the, the sun was the life giver and everything like that. So it was... It's it's a really good to see something that 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 primal thing that twings in their mind when they're sitting on the observation deck staring at this burning ball as they get closer and closer and going, Well, it's a god and it just mm. get gets into their brain and, and twists and warps them and that it's is very much a delve into horror uh, madness as well. And people it's about all about and and I guess both are it's about isolation and confronting your fears that come up and 
the Buddhists talk about this too, about the, the deep, deep meditation is confronting the mm. the horrors within your own mind. And this is really what happens to these crews, whether it's visually with Event Horizon where they see hallucinations or more sort of mental stuff that comes through from Sunshine side of it. And it's, it's it deals with that isolation being literally for Sunshine on a one-way mission to reignite the sun to save your entire race and your planet yep. and how that plays on the, the psyche of the people. The pressure, of, yeah. Yeah. and It's, it's interesting it's, because the, um, in various parts, and you'll notice that Doctor Who isn't on this list anywhere, even though it fits into quite a few of these mm. categories, especially time travel. Um, there are episodes that cover both Event Horizon and Sunshine. Like there oh, really? is a- yeah, there's a Doctor Who, Doctor Who episode where they're near a sun and they they scoop up some material to make their their ship engines continue to work, and they inadvertently scoop up a sun sun creature like an, a, a sentience, an alien sentience made out of made out of um, solar material, mm-hmm. and it starts infecting the minds, and it basically takes over the brains of of the people and it's trying to like they don't know it's a horror a horror episode because it's going around fucking killing the rest of the crew mm. but in reality it's just trying to trying to let itself out of the fuel tanks that it's been kidnapped in essentially and it reminded me so much of like the psychological shit that's going on in sunshine but told in a slightly different way and obviously for a different root cause but there is a sentience behind the sun Yes, so. and I mean, you talk about Doctor Who and the Sun and old Sun Gods. That's that amazing speech that Matt Smith makes to the uh, the the massive Sun God. I've I've watched the YouTube clip of that speech so many times. It's uh, it's it's an amazing speech where the, the 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 Sun God absorbs the memories of the 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 people to keep itself flowing, and he's mm. and he's there, and he makes that beautiful speech about I've seen things you can't even imagine. Take yeah. me, take it all. You basically, you'll fucking choke on it, you bastard. <laughs> yeah, basically, that's um, a great episode, and it's an underrated episode. Oh, yeah. Um, there's some amazing. other great speeches like that. David Tennant did one with the devil, and mm. that that does talk about, and that's where you meet the Ood, who are also a creepiest fuck alien species. But that to me is kind of similar to Event Horizon too. In a, it's told in a different way, but again. It punches a hole into our tribal reality or our tribal worship and and our concepts of the devil and evil and those sorts of things. And Event Horizon is very much in that same kind of boat. Both, yeah, both both really do. Yeah, both mm. actually speak to that as well. So, and I disagree with your horror pick, but let's yeah. So, let's so my <laughs> my my horror picks Pitch Black, the the very first Riddick film. And the reason I picked it, and I don't think. Like, I know there's monsters in it, so you could easily put this in the monster, like the science fiction monster category, but mm. I, I, I put it in the horror category because, by and large, whilst the monsters do make an appearance towards the end, in maybe the last quarter of the of the film. A big appearance, yeah. Yeah, a big appearance, yes. But, but most of the Pitch Black movie was tension building. It was a lot of, if we don't keep moving, it's going to come and get us. And a lot of it's... Or what Riddick's is that thing on the horizon? Yeah, well, that too. But uh, what? But what is that? No, no, no. We're talking the first film where Riddick's not a yeah. bad guy. He's helping everybody. No, Riddick is the bad guy in Pitch, Pitch Black. He's the criminal that they're transporting. I know. They chain I, him up and lock him up and go, no, he is a they, serial they treat killer. Him, they treat him. Yeah, he is a serial killer. They treat him, but he ends up saving saving the last 
two people? Two. No, one. Yeah. He only the saves girl? Jack in the end. Right. But he tries to save more than one. Yeah. But, but a lot the, of that the, movie was tension building, and that's the, why I put it in the horror. The He tries to save Jack and the, the main female lady who's the mm. Aussie, the Aussie yep. lady, but she gets torn apart like right at the ramp of the escape yes. ship. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Rada Mitchell, is that her? Yeah, that'll be her. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I I didn't put that. I, I think it's a horror because a lot of it's about tension. A lot of it, a lot of it is about implied consequences rather than actual graphic violence. And yes, you get the monster payoff at the end, and that's cool. But I I put I very much think that's a horror film. In the same way that Alien is a horror film, as opposed to Aliens, the sequel yeah. is very much a monster it's an action movie. Well, yeah. monster movie. Yeah. 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 Anyway, we'll move. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you, you have every right yeah. to disagree. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Um, do we? Do you want to move on to the next one? Yes. Cool. Cool. I, I actually, I didn't. Um, we'll we'll go. We'll throw to yours first. This we're okay. on to sci-fi time travels. Yeah. Uh, I didn't even think of this one. And is it a time travel movie or is it a? Uh, yeah, it's it's a looper distorted kind of, reality but you, movie. But you put Looper in. <laughs> yeah, but Looper is Looper. Looper has a specific time travel aspect to it. <laughs> yeah. So I so so my pick for edge uh, for time travel was Edge of Tomorrow, mm. and that is that's kind of a science fiction Groundhog's Day film. Yeah. But but I put it in as time travel because. The bug or the alien that is is creating the effect is very much described as is looping through time to mm. try and find a path out of, of try and find a solution. It is just warping talking, time. I was just talking semantics. Okay, <laughs> being but, difficult I mean, for the sake of being difficult. There's there's a lot of movies that have told this kind of story where you keep waking up and you get another chance to do the day and. And you don't know. I can't remember what what was the action comedy film where he kept waking up and he had to kill a bunch of dudes that were after him. And it was very much portrayed Boss as a level? video game. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Boss level was another mm. example of this style of story, as as is Groundhog Day. And mm. I'm sure that wasn't original either. But uh, Happy Death Day. Happy Death Day. Yeah. Um, I can deep cut there. But but I, to me, Edge of Tomorrow is is a very well conceived war science fiction mm. film and, and and in retrospect war isn't its own genre that we could have covered separately um but it has a lot of like it has a lot of cool consequences to time travel and you go through all of the typical yeah i've already done this and you know shoot here duck there everybody else is impressed by the amazing moves but it's only because there's so it's all muscle memory because they've done it so many times but at the same time i found it quite a engaging movie about looping through time and it's got Tom Cruise in it, and I didn't vomit. So, I mean, that's impressive by itself. It's it's one of those like I really enjoyed it. I thought I thought it was really well done. I love the aesthetics of it. I love Tom Cruise. I love Emily Blunt in it, and mm. and then all the supporting cast that's in there as well, which are, she are plays very a good mild. badass. Yeah, definitely. And you just you feel for him every time he dies, especially on the battlefield, because so many of those are horrific deaths that would <laughs> yeah. like. It would. It, it could then. It would tear your have, psyche apart. In that's reality. what I was about to say. It could so easily have been like just put in the horror aspect of it, where you just had him slowly <laughs> descending into madness every time he gets dismembered or like yeah. drops out of the uh, the the drop ship and he dies like splatters at one point and just <laughs> continually blown up by grenades and it's like 
horrible, horrible things. And yeah, obviously that's not the way they wanted to take the movie, but you you could quite easily talk about the trauma that, that this mm. would put on somebody rather than getting to the point where he becomes the hero in the end. Yeah. Yeah. He could just completely fucking break them to they just a, 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 <laughs> like a drooling mess every time they just wake up. Just explore how dark you can get away with in a film yeah. today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. What was what were your picks? So, time travel one, and I've spoken about this many times on the podcast over the years, and I still urge you if you have not gone and seen it or found it somewhere, predestination. Yeah, it it's is fucking brilliant. One of the best, smartest, cleverest, slightly disturbing movies. That- it's more than slightly disturbing. Yeah, you know, it's, I, it's. I didn't want to go too far to like put people off either. Well, yeah, <laughs> it's no, uncomfortable it's not. as well. It's yeah. uh, it's it, there's there's so much to it that you've seen it. Yeah, fuck yeah. Oh god, do we do we just spoil it because this is. This is kind of one of those movies that really, if people haven't seen it, I really want people to see yeah, it. Yeah, I don't think we should spoil it. I yeah. don't think we should spoil it. I think it's, it's just- I think it's such a rare movie that I think yeah. it's one of those ones that yeah, I don't think we should. Yeah, same in as, the same, same as Moon. Yeah, you, you could have you put, could have easily put, and I I don't know why I didn't think of this earlier. You could have put Twelve Monkeys in here as well. Oh, it was it was one of my other ones on the list there. Very too, but similar. I've, to predestination in the sense that, and, and very different in lots of ways, but but similar in that it is very discordant. Something yes. feels heavy and awkward and off throughout the whole film until yes. the end when you figure out why. Mm. And, um, and the payoff is kind of similar too, to be honest. It, it is like twist. very similar. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very similar. Now that you you point that out, um, it's it's also one of those ones that has a when you get to the end, it's quite complex in what it was trying to say but it doesn't treat the audience like idiots by talking like actually going oh yeah well xyz it It, just goes you get to the end and you go oh my fucking god like (laughs) what the actual fuck like like it's just it's it's i just yeah I, i i cannot speak more highly of predestination is it is probably one of the highest quality films I've ever seen in my life and original. It's and very um it's it's very detective noir stylistically. Yes. Yeah. Um it's very character driven. Yes. Yes. It reminds me like I, I love a good paradox film. Mm. And that is very much mm. a time travel paradox film. Yes. Um as is the next one, actually. Yeah, well I mean Looper as well. I mean I just want to throw that in there because I didn't know whether we were going to spoil predestination, so mm. I just wanted to have one that we could spoil. But I think we've spoken enough about predestination as well. So, Looper, yeah. it's I mean, that's it's, another great it's good. Film. It's just yeah, it's it's just good. I mean, Emily Blunt again, just something about time travel movies. <laughs> <laughs> but but Looper's also a testament to Joseph Gordon Levitt's um, uh, oh. effort and investment into playing a character. The, the amount of time that he spent trying to mirror Bruce Willis's natural mannerisms is staggeringly like the 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 payoff is so obvious and visible. Mm. It's just incredible. It, it definitely is. It's just it, it, it's such a shame that he seems to have disappeared a little bit. Mm. Whether or not he just doesn't want to deal with the Hollywood machine, uh, because he yeah. definitely he went to doing a lot of um, I guess after Dark Knight Rises, he really went to do. Uh, a lot more indie movies, and yep. he's he's done some really good indie movies as well. Um, 
<laughs> even even one earlier oh, in early in his career. It must have been pre Looper. Yeah, it's cool. Right, he has slowed down, but he's not he's not down and out. Like he's making a couple of movies a year. Oh, okay. I'll have to have a look. He was in Knives Out, then he was in Star Wars Visions. I'm I'm skipping Fucking a bunch. Knives Out, really? He was Detective Hard Rock. He was the voice of Detective Hard Rock. Um he was a voice in Star Wars what? Visions. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, Knives whoa, whoa. Out. Yeah. He's what do credited. You mean he was the voice of someone. He, he was credited as the. I'm just trying to find it again because he's. It's Joseph Gordon Levitt. I'm looking at the right guy. Is credited as having. Uh, credited against Knives Out as Detective Hard Rock's voice. There must be a phone call or something. Yeah. Something like that. I don't know. He's I don't have not more information in it, to in front my of me. memory. Um, don't know. On, 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 yeah, yeah I, uh, he was also the voice of, of Jiminy Cricket and Pinocchio um, last year. Yeah, uh, but voices, not not really yeah. taking advantage of his like acting chops. He's in a yeah. He's been in a couple of things, but he's in a shitload coming up. I don't know what they are. Uh, okay. White Knight, Providence, Killer Heat, Beverly Hills Cop, Wingmen, K Troop. Some of those might be cartoons. Some of them might be yeah. kids films. I don't know. Anyway, so so Looper, just a quick quick lowdown on Looper. If people haven't seen it, it's a time travel where there's guys in the past that are professional hitmen that are given a time and a place to be somewhere. Uh, and then they they basically go to a cornfield, lay down a mat. When somebody pops through the time portal, they <laughs> shoot them with a blunderbust, and they give them the blunderbust because you can't mess with the blunderbust. <laughs> yeah. And that's what they do. And they're they're the hitmen for the future mob because the mob is dropping people back in time, and a whole bunch of stuff happens. And in the end, you find out that basically, when it comes to their retirement in the future, they end up taking themselves out. Yeah, they yeah. they get they get sent back to close their loop. Which is yeah. why is it's why it's called Looper. Why it's called Looper. Yeah, and I love that, that. Yeah, so Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays the same character as Bruce Willis, mm. um, which is why I said before he studied Bruce Willis's natural mannerisms because when they they like whenever like Joseph Gordon-Levitt is visibly Bruce Willis in this film, mm. even when Bruce Willis is, isn't on screen, like you can tell it's him. Mm. Um, yeah, does a fantastic job. Holds his mouth just. Like has those mannerisms, delivers his lines, stands, mm, the cadence walks. of his voice. Yeah yeah, 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 brilliant, really great job. All right, moving yeah. on to the next subgenre, which is uh, sci-fi monster monster films, and there's so many to pick from. We we steered clear of aliens of all the aliens franchises and predators, I suppose. Yeah. What was your one? My Gantz. I don't know oh, this one. So I every now and then there's a there's a guy I follow on YouTube. And he just shows you the best sci-fi stuff that's coming up on on um, Netflix or horror movies, or he just it's about a twenty-five minute video, and he kind of runs through twenty movies from new, old things that are just coming into the Netflix playlist. And this is based on a Japanese anime. Now, I watched this a long time ago, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go right into what this is about. But basically, it's a group of people that wake up in a room because they've died in the world somewhere and they have to go out and fight monsters in Tokyo. And they're given <laughs> these like these powered suits and, and weapons 
to go out and they, they start at zero level basically. And if you hit a hundred points, you can get a teammate revived. You can get uh, <laughs> released from the game. You can get upgraded weapons to go into the next cycle. And, oh no, Corridor Crew. This is where I heard about it. Corridor right. Crew did a break because it's a fully animated movie. It's a fully yep. CG animated movie. And they did a breakdown of the monsters and some things that happen in happen in the movie to the bigger monsters and and the 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 uh, the fight scenes, and yeah. so I went went there and, and watched it afterwards because it looked pretty cool, and mm. it's there's not a huge amount of story to it. There's nothing surprising that happens to it, but the <laughs> animation and the creature design and the fight scene design, it's just something that the Japanese just have. Like it's the just- screenshot. The, the screenshot on IMDb reminds me of the graphic style of the Final Fantasy movie, the three D yeah. animated yeah, Final yeah, Fantasy. Yeah, the movie. the Spirits Within. Spirits yes. Within. Yeah. Yes. Which is I still say is a fucking great film. Oh, I mean, it was a huge milestone in, in mm. CD, uh, CG animation. Three D animation. So yeah. It, 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 this it Gantz Gantz O G A N T Z colon O. And I'm so disappointed I'm sure. that so 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 I don't know if you can see the um like if you're looking at the poster but there's some no. some uh, so it's all in Japanese other than Gantz O and I recognize the three hiragana characters on the left but there's a kanji right in the middle so I can't pronounce what the word is yeah. otherwise I would be able to tell you what it says but <laughs> probably Gantz O <laughs> no it's it's not because it's uh, a Kito something ru but yeah anyway carry on. Mm. But it's well worth a watch. I mean, it's it's really you could watch it without subtitles and you'd understand the story. Like there's that little story to it. It's all about <laughs> it's all visual these, effects. These four or five people going out, and there's there's separate teams. Like they're not the only team out there fighting monsters. Actually, they're in Osaka, not Tokyo. I stand okay. corrected. Um, just going out and fighting these weird warped creatures and it's it's just fun like it's just it's just to put it on and forget and just watch the visual spectacle there's a bunch of gantz um movies actually so there's gantz gantz perfect dance answer gantz self-titled it's all written by the same same people but oh i'm gonna have to go and see if they're are they it looks like a live action animated one of them gantz 2010 is a live action film so after trying to rescue a man on the subway tracks, two teens wake up in a room dominated by a mysterious black sphere. Yeah. That sends so them to hunt down that, and kill aliens hiding on Earth. Yep, that's it. So the Gantz is the the black orb. And when people die in the world, this is where they this is where they go to partake yeah, right. in, in the game. So they've made a live action film as well. Mm. I wonder if that yeah. was before or after this. Hiroya Oku is a writer that seems to be be like a through line through it all. Okay. Yeah. That'd be interesting. Okay. Okay. Mm. I'm gonna have to look that up myself now. Yeah, cool. And I had I had originally put down your monster movie pick as well. <laughs> Which is Starship Troopers. Yeah. Can't go past it. Fucking yeah. bugs. bugs. And it's and you could easily put this in the in the comedy um comedy oh, subgenre yeah. as well. But yeah, it's a fucking creature feature. Like even the way that they express that there are different types of bugs and you know, and they go through like almost a, a, the combat profile of each in, in various parts of the film. Um, I did have a, an honourable mention of Cloverfield, and mm. I think that's an underrated 
creature feature sci-fi. See, this is why well, this is what is, is exactly, sci-fi though. That's exactly what I was talking about before. Is it or isn't? Is it just a monster movie because it's just set in modern day? With You're probably the right. It is. Involved. Yeah, and it's is it a kaiju? Is that what they they collectively called it's the Godzilla? Kind of, yeah, yeah, they're kaiju. Yeah. Yeah, because he is very much supposed to be the 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 the, mm. the big alien, the big bad in in Cloverfield's clearly supposed to be a Godzilla mm. type character. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's it's just interesting because well, like a lot of people might just throw monster movies in sci-fi because they're outrageous, they're mm. like they're science no, fiction. No, I, yeah, yeah, but I mean, true. Mm. True, true. Um, you could also put any kind of alien monster mash movie in, yeah. in the, this category Definitely. as well. Yeah. Probably more realistic than Cloverfield in terms of fitting into the character into the genre. Mm. The yep. next, I think, the next genre, uh, cyberpunk. So, describes a dystopian future combining kind of kind of high technology and low life or so, or social breakdown. I really like that definition because it is a through line. Because I found it hard to describe cyberpunk. Like I know what it is, and I know what it is when I see it. But actually describing it to somebody, I I actually thought I had to sit there and think about it. So mm. I, I did some googling, and I really like that definition. You get like the scum, but in a futuristic high tech environment, and a real uh, separation of class as well yeah. is part of so cyberpunk. So the the corporations run everything, and the the people are just left to fend for themselves below. Below the below the a cor- certain cast, the corporate yeah. level, yeah, yeah, which is how you end up with Children of Men um, mm. uh, style. That's very much cyberpunk. It's also usually quite gritty, and and film noir lends itself quite well. Which you know, the, the classic is Blade Runner. That is the yes. cyberpunk example. Mm-hmm. I was impressed by because I saw you put in the same same uh, same movie as I did, or the same series as I did. I was impressed by the one that you changed it to because that's mm. another fucking fantastic example. So I think you can go first on this one. So I put in Upgrade, uh, which I need to do some quick Googling and find out the Aussie guy that uh, you're looking it up. I am. While I talk. Good. Thank you. So Upgrade is made by the non-James Wan side of- Lee Winnell. Lee Winnell. That's him. So it was a small indie movie. James Wan is the Aussie though. That's the problem with Isn't Lee Winnell not the Aussie? I thought Lee Winnell's Aussie too, isn't he? I don't know, but I'm pretty certain James Wan ended up. Yeah, uh, so Lee Wanell grew up in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, I think that they both are. Just James yeah. Wan's moved on to do different things. Yeah, he's an Australian film producer, screenwriter, yeah. and film director. Okay. Yeah. So uh, Lee Wanell did this movie back. Oh, it can't be that long ago. Got to be 2018. I was going to say 17. Yep, and it's it's set in the classic dystopian cyberpunk future. It was made in Australia. Good on, good on you, Lee Winnell. Uh, and it's it has those cyberpunk elements of the corporations and the higher ups being able to control the lower cast, which comes very much into the upgrade side of it. Um, it has those the police are fairly totalitarian. Um, yep. They're not protecting the people. They're very very much protecting the corporations. And this yep. is this this is the through line for upgrade. Um, the 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 main guy's character, the uh, the 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 home brand Tom Hardy. Um, I've said this. <laughs> I've said that about this guy so Discount many times. Discount Tom Hardy. Oh fuck! I've said this about him so many times. He's talking it's about not, Logan Marshall Green. Yeah, that's him. Yeah. 
Um, it's so unfair <laughs> that I call him discount Ton Hardy, but you put them next to each other and your average person's not going to tell the difference. Um, <laughs> and, and, and until they start eating their favourite meal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> didn't, didn't Tom Hardy get in trouble for biting people or eating people? I'm sure there was some sort of cannibalistic story in there. I'm sure there's not. Tom Hardy's like the golden child. Who am I thinking of then? Anyway, oh, carry yeah. on. Anyway, um, <laughs> so the, the the main character, I I haven't looked up any names of this movie, so and this 11% beer is really kicking in at this stage, so I'm going to babble for the next couple of minutes. The main character uh, gets an an upgrade. Uh-huh. Uh, surprise, surprise. He gets a an AI put in. He becomes a quadriplegic. Uh, and gets a an, an upgraded AI put at the top of his spinal column that can actually take control yes. of his body and make him uh, like make do all the basically do all the fight scenes and the action and everything that's required of him in the movie. And it's very Matrix esque in that. It is, but the filming sense. style is amazing. Some of the fight scenes is done on the like the camera that is attached to the person doing the action. Uh, the like the the personal cam that's like attached by a boom, the GoPro. Mm. So he's down at one stage and like he just he's lying down and he he lets the uh, the AI take over and the camera comes up with him as he stands upright and then goes through all of his actions as he goes pla- past his uh his his vertical point as a during yeah. the fight scenes. I'm describing this really badly and shit, but it's an amazing move. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Good. Uh, it's it's done on such a low budget and for, yeah, for it was, such a really it, good movie. I found it did fall down when the end was too predictable. I yeah. really would have preferred them to- Just a little, another layer of complexity. Yeah, to the, just rather to the than conspiracy. selling out for the for the for the ending to be something basic for the masses, you've you've made this great movie that is just visually beautiful, acted amazingly for the low budget, and I'm sure they had it on a time constraint as well. Oh, and yeah, just for sure, it, it felt like the end was a bit too cheap, where the AI was going to take over his whole body. And I'm spoiling this now, by the way, everybody, but you did get warned. Um, the AI takes over his body and he gets the choice to um, be part of that or whether the AI will let him live out his ideal life within his own mind. Um, yeah. So that's that. It got pretty it fucking dark at the it end did. too. Yes, like it, it was, yeah. yeah. Um, it definitely fits the category. Mm. And it was Army Hammer I was thinking of. The cannibal. Oh yeah, no army hammers. Yeah, very different. Yeah, like oh yeah, 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 army hammers in some yeah terrible, terrible all kinds hot of trouble. World. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, and Pete altered carbon. It's like one of oh. the the best cyberpunk renditions. It's on it's on par that season one with Blade Runner in my. Opinion. I agree. I agree. Which is why it was so disappointing to me that it it, it changed stylistically so much for season two, and it almost whilst there were definitely like the the hotel, some of the hotel sequences in season two were kind of reminiscent. It never reached anywhere near season one in terms mm. of its links back to like Victorian age writing, which was its kind of link um, to upper class in the lower class cyberpunk. Mm. Um, it's gritty, lots of lots of mob kind of infighting, but in a science fiction universe. Um, I was just, I, I, I can't help 
but think if season two had been closer to season one in terms of style, that it would have continued. Yeah. I, I feel like it got cancelled because it lost its way. Um, and I got I, I really, I, I want to say Kovacs, uh, who's the actor that plays? Uh, Joel Kinnaman. Joel Kinnaman, yeah. If he'd stayed on, I reckon he that, that series would have continued as well. But you can't. I know. That's I know. the whole idea of the sleeves. And I, I get it. When we were rolling through the first season and you got to the end of the, the first season and and Joel Takeshi Kovac gives up the, the sleeve that he was in because the bodies are called sleeves and they, they change out their um, oh God, stacks. They, stacks. They change out their stacks to swap minds between bodies and everything. And you knew it was going to be a new actor in season two. And I was like, this is an amazing premise. Like if mm-hmm. they nail this- it's like Doctor Who, but right. not. That's exactly it. I mean, yeah. and, and I don't dislike Anthony Mackie. I like Anthony Mackie, but he- whether Shut or the not, bed on this he, one. He did. He did, definitely. Like, it was Joel just Kinnaman, wooden all the way through. It definitely was. And Joel Kinnaman was a broken, broken man through that whole thing. Like he just, from episode one where he wakes up, Right to the very end where he gives up the sleeve and says goodbye to the detective that he's actually formed this bond with to continue on where he's going next with his life and mm. going to find his love and his sister and everything going going forward. It's like he portrayed Takashi Kovac in such a broken man kind of way. And then it felt like they said to Anthony Mackie, no, just be cocky and headshore and everything over the top, and you didn't see that character continue through. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I haven't – he hasn't been in much since. Like, he's been in stuff. He's in one movie a year. But he's also a main character in the For All Mankind alternate history sci-fi show on Apple Plus or Apple TV Plus. So I might have to check it out because I've I've not seen it, and I love Joel Kinnaman. He's such a good Mm. actor. Um, but just, it just, it's a nice segue because it is another science fiction show that just happens to be another science mm. fiction show. So for all mankind, I, I've not watched it, but I understand that the premise, um, it's an alternate version of history. Um, the Soviet Union beats the US to the moon, and that's kind of the the point of discontinuity from reality. And so we live in a different world as a result of the Russians beating mm. the Americans and it totally changing society because it really did galvanize society that 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 race to the moon. Kind of the Russian version of Man of the High Castle, which yes. is if the Germans won World War II. Yes. Yeah, yeah. very much. Um, should we talk Ooh, about our- Maybe alternate histories need to be yeah. on the list somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, should we talk about our last subgenre? We definitely do because I think we're getting to the end of our time and I really need to pee. Okay. Comedy. I think we yeah. both picked classic ones here. Yeah. Yeah. You going? So, yeah, yeah. So I pick Spaceballs. Can't go past a good Mel Brooks film. Um, <laughs> and with all the right actors in it too. And uh, fucking, I laugh even thinking about some of the shit that goes on in that film. There's I no way Schwartz they could, is as big as, as, big mine. as mine. There's no way they could get away with that shit these days. Absolutely <laughs> not. not. Absolutely um, not. Rick Moranis from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids playing Dark yep. Helmet. Dark Helmet. Um, Mel Brooks is actually in it. Uh, a mm-hmm. bath by John Candy, so he's the the ripoff of um, of Chewbacca. Uh, Bill Pullman playing Lone Star, the ripoff of Han Solo. 
it is it's a complete piss take of Star Wars, um, and done in such a great fucking fun, witty way. Uh, and Michael Winslow, if you watched, if you if you ever watched any oh, of yeah, the, he's the he's the radar <laughs> operator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you if you loved Police Academy and the sound effects he makes in that, you'll love this as well. So that's a, that's a, a fucking classic. And it I had a, a I had an honourable mention of Free Guy, which I thought was a very funny. But it's not quite a comedy because it's quite serious as well, science mm. fiction film. Um, yeah, and, and funny, funny. We're talking. We, we both put uh, the big, the big franchise ripoffs here. Uh, yours with <laughs> yeah. Spaceballs and Star Wars, and I put Galaxy Quest, which yeah. is just a to infinity. Of- no, that what was the fucking call? Ah, oh, that's yeah. I shouldn't have opened my mouth. No, it's going to bug me now. But I mean, All Star <laughs> Cast, Sigourney Weaver, Tim Allen. Um, Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman is just, it just, it's just a classic, classic movie, and it holds up so well, and it speaks to so much of the culture that was kind of just emerging at the time that they made it with the comic cons and the the panels of uh, the panels of the TV shows and the movies and the, the cast going there to the comic cons and being berated and and not just berated, but uh, that probably happens more these days than anything else. Um, Beaten being, up. They're being championed by the <laughs> championed by the 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 attendees and getting yeah. asked ridiculous questions about. Oh God, we went to we went to see the the cast of uh, S Stargate SG one one time, and somebody asked uh, Richard Dean Anderson something specific about an episode <laughs> and how how would have he reacted as a as Richard Dean Anderson to this character that. Um, to this uh, situation that his character got put in and he kind of just sat there for a second and then he went (laughs) and thumped his head on the microphone and just snored. And it was like he was just an actor going Clearly it's not the first time that he's done that. Yes. Oh, obviously not. (laughs) But he just wanted to go there and talk about his experience and he just was – he was an actor that – Yes, everybody wanted him to be invested into the character and the world that he was in, but he wasn't. He was just an actor getting a paycheck and and these sort of things. And that that very much showed. But he was still super interesting to listen to. Like you had and a that, lot to the, say. The about- irony there though is it played into Richard Dean Anderson's character in SG one. He was just- the laissez faire, yeah, I'm fucking here to look cool, kill some dudes, and then fuck the women. That's yes. kind of the whole persona. Yes, and he was, was the Kirk of yeah. SG One. Yes, and he was the Kurt Russell of of SG One. Yeah, because well, that, that is very much the fucking the character and the actor, right, from the original mm. Stargate. Mm. So yeah, and the, the never give Galaxy up, Quest, never surrender, never give up, way. never surrender. That's it, because they were so sick of it, and yeah, never give up. Never yeah, surrender. I mean, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of things you can go to for after that, but it, I mean, Galaxy Quest is just I'm sure most people have seen it, but it's just it's it's just another one that you can just put on and just chuckle at because it's probably more relevant today than what it mm. was when mm. it was done. So yeah, it's, um the 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 old burnt out actors and just re reliving their um their recycling, heyday. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But not wanting to relive their heyday, but they have to for the paycheck and just to continue the lifestyle that they've uh, decided to live on, and and it just throws them in this real life sci fi world where it was all based on Galaxy Quest, so mm. the TV show in the movie. So um, another another great uh, comedy movie along with Spaceballs, just a uh, good fun and 
you probably wouldn't get away with some scenes in Galaxy Quest these days either, but uh, let's yeah. hope someone's got the guts to make them these days. Yeah. Can't take ourselves too seriously. Yeah. Um, your honourable mention is one, uh, Is uh, I'm going to just spill the beans, so it's the Orville. Um, this has come oh, up a yeah. few times, and I'm sure I've seen it. I've seen the first two or three episodes, maybe three or four times over, to try and get into the series, and it just never hooks me enough. There's always something else to watch, mm. um, but it's a it's a typical Seth MacFarlane comedy set in space, yep. and it does take the piss out of all the normal Star Trek tropes. And the reason I like it so much is, one, I like Seth MacFarlane and his dry humour, his dry, witty mm. humour, but it reminds me so much of Space Quest games. And I just <laughs> I just want the janitor on the Orville to be called Roger Wilco and <laughs> I'll be, I'd be a happy, happy man. Yeah. 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 Go um, – if you need to go pee, go pee before we close out because I think you wanted to do some honourable mention books, right? No, I, I mean – I think you, let's just let's just do the the honourable mentions because um, I mean Peter F Hamilton's one of my honourable mentions in novels as well. Yeah, any, anything Peter F Hamilton. Um, but Reality Dysfunction was where I started because that's the start of its own trilogy of books, and it's it's hard sci-fi slash space opera. Um, very much a comment on humanity's psychology, uh, religion, and the importance of religion to a humanity. Um, how you would extrapolate that out over over time where, you know, increasingly science is replacing the need for religion um, or at least in terms of describing the afterlife. So I thought that was fascinating the way that he deals with that. And then The Dreaming Void is a, if you were to mash a really well-written science fiction book with a really well-written fantasy book, you get The Dreaming Void. It's, it's a story told in two voices. One is very much science fiction uh, and and you know hard sci-fi, and the other is very fantasy, stuck on a backwards world. There is no technology, kind of. There is magic though, mm. and and the Dreaming Void I does a fan- that one. Yeah, so so that's mm. the start of another trilogy. The Dreaming Void does a really good job of of mashing a traditional fantasy film uh, book with a sci-fi book. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then the Children of Men. So I've oh, read. Wait a minute before we get off Peter, Peter F. Hamilton. My honourable mention for Peter F. Hamilton was Salvation. I've spoken yes. about it before. Salvation is hard sci-fi. Quantum entanglement is a thing. Yeah. You no longer catch a train to work. You your your personal HUD device walks you through a whole bunch of quantum entanglement portals, and hmm. you can you go to the stations and you walk through seven or eight portals to end up in. London you want. and go to your job in the building in London when you live in the, the coast of Hawaii. Or like, another planet. Or another planet, yeah. I mean, and they, they send ships out to, that they they drop a portal out there and then they can portal out there and then they can build a new station out there and they can build more ships to go to the next portal and then they can they, and they're just leapfrogging these portals to get throughout yep. the galaxy. It's just it's and then it's a it's, detective story. It's a detective story. Exactly. <laughs> it's so it's, fucking and, well done. And his writing is just amazing, and we've we've mentioned this before, Pete, because it just his his beautiful description of a three D game of football is <laughs> just amazing, and you can visualize where all the players are in a yep. three hundred and sixty anti grav football game. You know how this is playing out because he's such an amazing writer. Where they keep changing the physics as part of the game, yeah. 
Yeah, 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 because they yeah. they turn they turn the stadium. Yes, yeah, yeah so they turn the gravity a, up and they change yep. the the laws of physics around yeah. uh, trajectories and things. Yeah, incredible. Um, the other one I put in, yeah, anything by Peter F. Hamilton is you can't miss. I've read a lot of books that they've since built movie or TV series dynasties on, and the books are almost always. I would say they're sometimes better, but they're almost always very different. So mm. iRobot is extremely different. Yes. I found iRobot very dry, but that's because it was written like 70, 80 years ago. Mm. Um, Foundation was quite disconnected. Like Foundation's quite a hard read these days because it talks a lot about old school predictions of technologies that we've since realized. Like we don't call it a, like atomics. Atomics isn't a thing. We talk about nuclear energy and it's boring and un- uninteresting now. Yeah. Whereas it was when they first split the atom and after Oppenheimer, which is quite topical at the moment, mm. um, the atom bombs go off, they they invented the first nuclear power plants. That's kind of the era where he's writing this thing and he's talking about it being the future of mankind. Mm. Um, but Children of Men by P.D. James was a book that I've read that that is unequivocally a better read than the really good movie with Clive mm. Owen in it. Incredible that a really good movie is spawned from an even better book. <laughs> yeah, and it is <laughs> it is incredible. unequivocally a better and, book because it goes in a lot more depth. Yes, yeah, it goes in a lot more depth. So, um, But, you know, Isaac Asimov, anything by him is brilliant in terms of science fiction. Um, Ian Banks is very popular, but I've struggled to get. I've read five or six of his and I can't get into them. I read uh, what's it called? Phoebus. Consider Plevis. Can yeah, that one. Consider Plevis. Plevis, <laughs> however it's pronounced. It. Uh, yeah, um, it's interesting. It's very interesting, and the the main character is a shapeshifter, but he's not. He's not the 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 stereotypical sci fi Marvel chain shifter. Chain shifter. Shapeshifter. Um, and once again, a little bit topical, just having the secret invasion just gone. He can't shapeshift on – well, he can shapeshift on command, but he needs time to mm. reconstruct his body. And he takes the, 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 the space travel time to his destination to, to reconstruct his body to the person that he's meant to be at the other end. And yeah. I, f- I find that a very interesting – and he's an assassin. It's a- it's designed to be a limit on on the on the magical capability, essentially. Yes. Otherwise, he'd be omnipotent, essentially. Yeah, yeah, and it's I think it's it's, it's well conceived. A lot of those books mm. are very well conceived. Um, I've then went and tried to read more more of his stuff and fell into the same thing. I've I've stopped two or three of his books just because I'm like I get it, I just don't find it interesting. Or yeah. you're taking too long to get to the hook the point. that should have been somewhere <laughs> in there. As where Peter F. Hamilton gives you so much information and so much interesting information so quickly but continues that through the building of his worlds and the story. He's a, I, I feel, and we might get chewed up for this, I feel he's a much better writer and much more interesting. I completely agree. Mm. I, I also don't know when the fuck Kindle my Kindle library dumped all of my comics in there. I got a fuckload of DC comics that's suddenly in my Kindle <laughs> library that weren't there like 10 minutes ago. Um, I was going to say, I've read a lot of other other writers that are very good but not quite as good. So John Scalzi, Neil Usher. Um, there was a series, and I'm just I'm, – the reason why I opened up my Kindle Cloud Reader library, and I've got too many books in here, um, is I – Read somebody, it was a female writer who 
won a Nebula Award for her books, and it was written in this really interesting way that I'd never read before. It was all it was multiple first person. So the book was an artificial intelligence, but it was an an a sentience, a true sentience, who had hundreds or thousands of clones. It's been about ten years. Um, had thousands of clones to do its maintenance throughout its ship, but it could download a copy of its sentience into each clone. And the book is written mm. in the first person, but that first person represents multiple bodies, mm. shifts. Yeah, um, and, that's a and bit so, of a brain fuck. So it's a ship, and also it's a um, a, a like a combat bot that mm. interacts with the world in a military force. Um, really interesting. I'm fairly certain the book I'm thinking of is called Ancillary Justice. Uh, I'm just trying to find the name of the writer. Uh, Quick, because Anne my bladder Leckie. is getting fuller and fuller at the minute. <laughs> Anne Lecky uh, is the name of the the, the writer. Anyway, um, that's I think that's it for us. It was our science fiction episode? Um, yeah, that was fun. Leave, yeah, it was. Leave a comment. Let us know what your favorite fucking science fiction film, movie, TV show, book was, and which subgenre it fits in. Because I'm interested to see what what's out there mm, that yeah. we have, we haven't talked about. Right. Cool. Thank Thanks you. very much for listening. Good night.